You're listening to the audio sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas. For almost 130 years, FBCMF has served Marble Falls and the greater Highland Lakes area faithfully through children's programs, youth activities, and adult discipleship. We invite you to join us each and every Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. for deep fellowship, rich worship, and a spirit-filled message. For those who find themselves unable to attend on a Sunday morning, we stream those services. Simply visit fbcmf.live during either of our service times to view it. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org. Well, I, I was actually in the Christmas pageant, but no one saw me because I, I was the Santa Claus they dressed up like a clown that they brought out. Apparently, that's the part that they thought was most appropriate for me to play. Um, I think that if Christmas had wrapping paper over the whole season, the whole holiday, the wrapping paper of Christmas would be um, hope. Hope is the wrapping paper of Christmas. In fact, when the birth of the Messiah came, uh, the, it was wrapped in the great messianic hope of the Jewish people. For hundreds of years, they had looked forward to the coming of the great Messiah in their nation and in their lives. And so what we're going to attempt to do this morning is, is pull back some of that hopeful wrapping paper and begin to, to see why it was so hopeful. Um, in Luke 2, 21, the Christmas story continues. The saga of Jesus' birth did not end in, in Bethlehem at the manger. It continues on. And so now we find this little poor family going down to Jerusalem to do something. What in the world are they doing? Why would such a family now take a hard trip all the way up to Jerusalem when they didn't even have enough money to go to Bethlehem in the first place? Why would they go down to Jerusalem? In this passage, in Luke 2, the word law is mentioned three different times. It seems that there's something compelling and pushing them that has to do with the Jewish law. And, and it is that Mary and Joseph are intending on fulfilling the law which says that they have to dedicate their firstborn son to the Lord. That's the law. And so Caesar's authority is what brought them to Bethlehem in the first place when they were registering their family for the state of Rome. And now it is the law's authority which is forcing them to make a yet another trip down to Jerusalem. So imagine here a very obedient family, are they not? Going where they're told and doing exactly what, what they have to do. They're not making a fuss, they're just obeying. Like a, a normal kind of obedient family. It says that Mary and Joseph came offering two pigeons, two birds for their sacrifice and, and uh, for giving to the Lord. And that tells us a lot about this family. Other families may come in and they're going to offer uh, a sacrifice for their firstborn. And it's a big deal. And they're going to bring their very best. And some of the families that would come, they would have the, a fatted calf. And they would spend their very best. It's kind of like a, a, a huge deal. Not kind of. It's a big deal for them. What sacrifice are you going to make for your firstborn to the Lord? Well, the poorer families, it's a respectable thing. It's not that it's 
disrespecting to do this, but the law says if you don't have much money and the best you can do, just, just bring two pigeons or bring two doves and offer them. And so that's what we see Mary and Joseph doing. It means that they were the poorest of the poor. This is not a wealthy couple. They hardly had anything. They were not middle class. They, they were the underprivileged class. They were the have-nots of their society. And we could talk a lot about that. In fact, I think it's very interesting. We could talk a lot about the two pigeons that were offered and the, the ironic idea that the God of our world is born into our world and in this huge, momentous occasion that the offering that's made for the birth of God into our world is the smallest offering possible. We could say a whole lot about things like that. But I think the thing this morning to say is that in the middle of this very common sacrifice, God does a very uncommon thing, something that does not happen to just every family who brings someone to dedicate at the temple in Jerusalem. Not everybody who comes, even the ones who come with the big um, fatted calves or the great lambs to offer as a sacrifice, not all of them have this moment where two prophets come up to them and start talking to them about their child. Hey, we see here these extraordinary messages from an, an old man named Simeon and an old woman named Anna. We have um, memorialized here in our sanctuary a stained glass window talking about the exchange that Mary and Joseph have with Simeon. It's right there on our east wall. For those of you who don't know, our our stained glass windows follow the life of Christ, and the first one is the birth, and that's Simeon, that's old Simeon rejoicing. He's holding this baby, and he's saying, my eyes have seen salvation. God had shared with Simeon, I'm not going to let you die, buddy, until you've seen my salvation come, and that's the picture. Isn't it beautiful? Simeon holding the baby Jesus. Well, if you move on in the windows, the next one is Jesus. He's grown and he's entered to the ministry and he's preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We love that one. And then he's healing the leper. For anybody that's ever need emotional, physical, mental, spiritual healing, that one speaks to you. Then there is John chapter 4, Jesus with the woman on the well, that, that everybody matters to Jesus. And then you move to this side and he loves children, cares about the next generation, and then we finally get to the moment of the cross and there's the passion window where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he is about to die and he's saying, Lord, if it's possible, may this cup pass away from me, but not my will, but whose? Yours. Your will be done. And then there's the wonderful resurrection window. We're inside the tomb and we're looking out of it and the angel is saying, he's not here, he is risen, our Easter window. And then the last one, what an amazing window. It's like, how does this one fit into the whole story? Well, that's us. All 130 years, we, from 1888, when our first church first began, looking all the way up into the hill where our prayer tower sits, spanning all of the years, this is us. It's a stained glass window saying this, that First Baptist Marble Falls, this family of faith, have been caught up into the great story of Jesus Christ. That we're a part of all that, that you see. But we don't have... The prophetess Anna window, stained glass window. I wish that we did. We, 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 we need a picture. We need an Anna stained glass window. Can you picture the old lady? How, how would you see her? I, I see her this. I see a, a haggard, very old, thin as a rail, 
thin as a rail woman, very serious, but, but yet, even though she's alone in this world, she's not without hope, and there's a sense of optimism about her as if Anna is, is holding on to something. We don't know what exactly, but she's holding on to it. And maybe she was married at about 12 or 14 years old. That's common for girls back then. So how old was she? If she was married at 12 or 14, and, and then she got married, and her marriage lasted seven years, and then her husband died, and now she's been a widow for 84. Let's add it all up together. She's about 103 or 105 years old, and that's if she married really, really early. And she's an older lady, and it says that this older lady, 103, 105 years old, goes into the temple every day and spends night and day doing two things, fasting and praying. Fasting. We need a window of Anna fasting. Fasting, have any of you ever fasted before? Fasting is that exceedingly powerful discipline that, that constitutes a form of protest. It's an assertion that, that all is not well, but, but you want it to be. Something needs to be set right, and so you stubbornly put your own needs of your body and your own needs aside until that thing is made right. I'm not going to eat until it's fixed. Something is broken in this world or something is broken in my life. Something's broken in my family. And I'm not going to just live as normal. I, I can't live as normal. I, I'm going to do without until that thing is right. I'm protesting the brokenness. That's what fasting is. Fasting's a protest. It's saying I, I, I'm not content with this world the way that it is, or with my situation the way that it is, God, do something about it. I need a hope and I need a future. Lord, please help forever not to be like today. Bring something great tomorrow. That's Anna. And when you combine her fasting protest along with the prayer, here's what it comes down to. You have a serious, serious woman who is asking God to bring about redemption to a broken world and a broken people. The word redemption, it also means the word recovery. It means improvement. It means renovation. It means exchange, where you exchange your brokenness for something much, much better. She is protesting in her fasting, saying, Lord, the people of Israel and the people of our world are broken and I don't want to eat and I'm not going to live normally until you fix the brokenness. I want to exchange it for something far better. That's Anna. Exchange, conversion, or even restoration. I like the word restoration for it the most. Day and night, Anna protested the condition of her people until they are restored and restoration comes as she hopes for God to show up. Simeon, is pretty much the same. He has this great hope of restoration as well. He's a man of hope that God must have something better in the future than the way that it is right now. And now, for the first time, both of them meet Jesus. And as Simeon holds Jesus in his arms, as Anna holds the baby in her arms too, and I like it that Simeon, it says he took the baby in his arms. There's the mother and there's the dad, and Simeon goes up to them and says, I wanna hold your baby. Let me see. 
And, uh, and, and he takes the baby. I've seen some of your babies. I love them. I want to do the same thing, but I, I, I respect your space, but I want to. Simeon says, space, schmace, give me your baby. I want to hold it. And he's holding this little baby. And in the middle of that, something hits him. He's looking into the eyes of it, perhaps. And as he looked at the baby, it hit him. All that was broken is now fixed in this thing. As if all of the brokenness of Israel was like shattered glass all over the ground. And as he holds the baby, he realizes that restoration has now begun. And all of those little pieces of glass, all the little shards of the brokenness have all been putting back together again, coming all back the way that it ought to be. This world now has a future as they looked at the baby because restoration has begun. There's a future. There was not a future a moment ago, but now as they're looking at the baby, there's a future for them and their children and the world. It's hopeful. And our musical, the best Christmas pageant ever, I, I am taken by the character Imogene. I'm taken by her because she is dirty and poor and rebellious. She is this fighting little girl. She bloodied a lot of noses in her time. She's tough. And all of a sudden, during this moment, as she holds the baby Jesus in the same way that Simeon and Anna held the baby Jesus, the same thing strikes I'm a gene that struck Simeon and Anna a long time ago. She is struck by this idea. And, and the thing that makes it the best Christmas pageant ever, rather than the most disastrous Christmas pageant ever, is she starts to realize when she's holding this baby that, that her poverty doesn't matter anymore. That God has begun to pull those things back together again. But what begins to go away is all of the bitterness and all of the anger that this little girl had built up against the whole world and against everybody because of how she had been brought up or how she had been treated by the world. But when she held that baby, it all began to, to change for her. And it's a big deal because this is a girl who in the book, it was just a few days before smoking a, a cigar in the girl's bathroom filling the church with the, this is a girl who refused to to take off all of her jewelry and all of her makeup to play mary and she didn't want to do all of that this is a tough girl who was rebellious and all of a sudden she's holding the baby jesus and 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 it's like she has a future now if you didn't see it this transformation that happens in somebody who was so obstinate against everything and what happens to her, I'd love for you to see it. Y'all come out and show it to us. Come on, kids. What was it like?
night like this, there was not a sound to break the peace on the cold hard ground. Imogene. Look at Imogene. She, she now has a future. She didn't have a future. She didn't, man. But she does now. And, and her life has a chance to end up better than how it started. You see, she, she understands this now, that God is not just a God for all the other kids but he's a God for her, for her that no longer does she have to be a little girl on the outside, always looking in. It doesn't have to be that way for her any longer. I wonder how many of you, how many of you grew up in a Herdman kind of home, a Herdman family, poor, uneducated maybe, unruly, dysfunctional. Did any of you spend more time in the principal's office than you did in the classroom? Any of you? And, 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 and you had the kind of parents that when you got home, there are some who say if you get a spanking at school, you get one at home too. Those are good parents. Your parents never said anything like that because they weren't there perhaps. And you were always having to fight always having to fight your way into this and fight your way into that, and you grew up with a lot of that. 
I remember the great golfer Lee Trevino was talking about his childhood. He said, we had all these brothers and sisters, and he said, and we were so poor that when we threw the dog a bone, the dog had to call for a fair catch. (laughs) With Jesus, with Jesus, the fight is over. It's over. He wins the fight for you, and he begins bringing people from the outside and making them insiders. That's the power of it. That was what Simeon was trying to say as he held the baby and he looked at the baby and he started talking about Gentiles. These dirty Gentiles, unholy, uncaring, ungodly Gentiles. And he looked at the baby and he said, even those dirty, ungodly, they're going to receive a light. They're going to be brought in too. That there's a light and there's hope for the Imogenes of our world. My goodness. That's Christmas. That's the hope of it. That's why we get excited and we say, this is a big dang deal to everybody. I, I look at Imogen, I see all of that. I look at all of the church kids, though, all the church kids, and they needed to know this. They needed to know that there was acceptance at the manger for other kids. They needed to know that big time, that the life of Jesus Christ draws other children into it too, other people into it. I see in them a movement from legalism to grace, don't you? Legalism to grace, that the ground is flat at the foot of the cross. It's pretty easy to look down on the herdmans until Jesus Christ shows up. Jesus shows up when he arrives. It makes everything level. The whole playing field becomes level. And you begin to see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When you go to church a whole lot, as many of us do, it's easy to forget things like that. I wonder if there were any Pharisees who heard Simeon talking about other people coming in and receiving light and revelation. And I wonder if the Pharisees ever said, no, no, they shouldn't receive anything like that. They need to be better before they receive that kind of thing. I wonder if they heard it, but if they would have listened to the end of everything that Simeon was trying to say and everything that Anna was trying to say, if they had just listened, then they finally could have taken off all of the burden of working their own way into salvation, perhaps, letting go of a lot of that, and they could have been like like Nicodemus, that Simeon and Anna looked and, and, and saw a future Nicodemus there, that somebody who could move from legalism unto grace and let go of things. Oh, I think that the Pharisees would have cheered like crazy had they really understood all of that, that it's God who brings salvation, not any of us, not our church, not anything else. It is the grace of God that transforms our lives. When I look at all the kids in church, I see that sometimes as I look at it. And I look also over on this side of the stage at the, the, the wise guys, the, the the three wise guys and, and Bob (laughs) right there. Oh, I look at them and I, and I think these are herdman kids. Is there hope that even a herdman kid could become wise? Is there wisdom to be given to people who come like like wise men did? People who come from obscurity and come from nowhere? They don't even know where they're from. Somewhere in the east. 
They just come, wisdom coming from unknown places, unsuspecting kinds of obscurity, wise women, and very, very wise men coming from out of nowhere. I've shared this with you. All the, the greatest mentor in my life, and the, the person probably who's cared the most uh, as far as me in ministry, is, is Dr. Bruce Webb, the pastor at First Baptist Church of the Woodlands. He's been here in our church, and, and he's just a, a brother to me. He cared about me when, when, when I just, I, I have very little to offer, and he loved me anyway. His brother, Dr. Bob Webb, is the chaplain at the Baptist Health System in Beaumont, Texas. Bob was the, um, here's how our church is affected by these people. Bob Webb is the one who recommended a man named Dory Stubblefield to our church. And so we, we, we thank God for the Webb brothers because we have Dory. The Webb brothers, though, they're both in ministry. And they've, they've done wonderfully in ministry. But, but when Bruce was seven years old, his mother died. And his father was an abusive alcoholic. They, they, they would get home and they wouldn't, they wouldn't bathe. Sometimes they wouldn't have dinner. Their sister would take care of them, or a grandmother or aunt. Other people would come in and try to help, but they were the statistic. If you were in the school district, you might say, you know what? These are the kids who may not make it very far. That's what they were going to be. But out of a family and out of a situation, out of obscurity and out of nowhere, wisdom comes because of the Lord. We look at the stage, we see all of these things. We look at the passage of Scripture, and we see that Simeon and Anna were seeing these types of things. So kids, thank y'all so much. Thank y'all for showing that to us. Thank you, Imogene and Herdman's for helping us to see things like that. Isn't it awesome? We needed y'all. We needed you to show us all of that. All right, y'all get out of here. Y'all are good. Thank you. So Simeon and Anna, they, they, they held Jesus and they looked at him. And the hope of the moment came when, when, when they realized and they began to see these future people whose lives would be changed. I, I, this is what I think. I think that Simeon and, and, and Anna looked at Jesus Christ and they saw the Imogenes. I think that they looked at the baby and they saw people who were Pharisees who would move from that into grace. I think they saw it. I think that they saw the future men who would come as, as wise men out of obscurity in nowheresville and make a difference. I think they saw all of it. And we have this passage of scripture so that, so that they can tell us what they saw. So that maybe you and I can start to see the way that they did too. I think that they saw me, a skinny boy living on a poor farm in a poor town to parents who were teachers and, and one day the light and the revelation of God came to me and now I'm a part of that group. And, and my life's been transformed by it. Has your life been transformed by Jesus Christ as well? Transformed by it. The transformation of the Herdman family is remarkable to see a little girl who's crying, looking at Jesus, who just a few days before was smoking a cigar in the church. 
It's a big deal. That's restoration, restoration. But, but the gift of Christmas is for all of you too. It's not just a story. It's not a book. It's not a musical. It's not a play. It's not something that's just in the Bible where, where, where it's just removed all of those years away. It leaps off of the pages. And it is a gift that right now is alive in your life. And it's a gift of, of restoration that's being offered to all of you here. But you can't get it for yourself. You cannot earn salvation. It's something that the, the restoration only comes from the Lord and so what does your future look like? What does the future of your children and your grandchildren look like? Does Jesus' birth into our world and your commitment to Jesus Christ change things about your future too? It can. It can because Luke 2 is a prophecy for you. Not just for the people during that time, but it's yours as well. And that's why Christmas is merry. Because Christmas is full of hope. And so friends, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you all. You've been listening to the audio sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas. Never miss an archive sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org.